Welcome to the Sheila Brahma Extractive Podcast. Today, I'm pleased to welcome David Bonado. David has uh, over 16 years experience in biodiversity conservation, natural resource management, and sustainable development internationally. He has worked for NGOs, the private sector, multinational, and bilateral organizations. His interest leans towards the provision of sustainable livelihoods as a means of mitigating for human impacts on the environment. He has a strong bias towards ecotourism and water management related issues and currently lives in the city of Oslo in Norway. David, welcome to the Sheila Kham Extractive Podcast. Thank you, Sheila. Pleasure being here. That's lovely. Well, I, I, I thought I, we, we should start uh, with the basics. So when we say biodiverse environment, what do we mean, David? Sure, yes. So um, biodiversity it essentially is the, the variety of, of all uh, life forms uh, on Earth, uh, on this planet. And so when I talk about life forms, I'm talking about plants, animals, microorganisms, uh, and, and the ecosystems that, that they together encompass. Um, be it terrestrial, marine, freshwater. Uh, so, so biodiversity is is really sort of the, the building blocks of 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 life of humanity uh, on this planet. And um, so, when we talk about biodiverse environments, we're, we're talking about uh, ecosystems that are very rich in, in species, uh, in, essentially the number of species. So areas such as the Amazon, the Congo Basin, for example. Uh, Restorally, are, are very biodiverse tropical ecosystems. Um, but then you have uh, ecosystems and into the marine um, scapes that are important and very biodiverse, such as the Great Barrier Reef in, in Australia um, or the Coral Triangle in Southeast Asia and sort of Indonesia, which is known to be sort of the, the, the uh, cradle of biodiversity in, in, in that part of the region. So that that that's you know the in short you know what biodiversity is and and what biodiverse environments uh, are in 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 our in on Earth. Sure. So um, why is biodiversity important for the health or or, or, or the well being of the environment? Yeah, well, as, as I was saying, so as, as biodiversity is essentially sort of the foundation of these ecosystems, uh, whether it's you know, grasslands, tropical wetlands, um, rainforests, deserts, uh, and everything in between, um, they, without biodiversity, you would not have the, the functions that these ecosystems um, carry out and the services that they provide. There's a term called ecosystem services, which, for example, in the case of um, a watershed, um, you know the, the that forest that forested watershed provides uh, provisioning services uh, food water fiber to, to the to the communities wood fuel you know people going out collecting fuel wood um, but it also provides a regulating service in terms of air quality and soil fertility uh, mangroves for example uh, are an ecosystem that that, that control flooding and you know, storm surge um, you saw for example the, the devastation in in Florida recently and along its western coast, that would not have happened to the extent that it did if we, if we, had, if we had protected all the mangroves that used to be in, in that, those areas. Um, crop pollination is another regulating service that these ecosystems provide. Without, without the, the bees uh, and other pollinators, bats, for example, and other species, 
uh, we wouldn't have the ability to, to pollinate our crops. Um, and then there's the supporting services, you know, habitat for wildlife um, and cultural services as well, which we need to consider for, for the purposes of ecotourism, uh, you know, having an aesthetically beautiful forest or, or particularly for spiritual well-being, um, particularly for, for indigenous peoples that live in these, in these uh, more remote areas. And so to put it bluntly, without biodiverse environments, uh, humanity would not have you know, the, the, the building blocks of our societies, right? Food, food, infrastructure, medicine, fuel. Um, we, we've granted, we've, we have engineered our way to, to, to decouple ourselves from, and our economies from many of these services, uh, these ecosystem services. Um, but at the end of the day, we can't survive without balanced, healthy ecosystems in the long term, um, particularly as we're seeing greater uh, more frequent storms, uh, hurricanes, monsoons, typhoons, um, and, and we need that these ecosystems healthy to have you know, that flood abatement, that, that cross surge protection, storm surge protection, and to reduce our, the carbon dioxide in, in the atmosphere. Um, so they, they, they are, these ecosystem services are instrumental to our way of life. Yeah. So as you speak, I'm 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 trying to visualize this because, of course, uh, as human beings living as we do today in cities, we flatter ourselves in the belief that you know the things we need are the cars and the roads and the electricity. But what you're saying is, whether we see it or not, there is a, a hugely diverse environment around us that is busy in the background and sometimes in our face, even though we can see it. And that it is this uh, combination of animals, plants, water, and how they interface that you call uh, biodiversity and that we need it because it performs different services from propagating plants, reducing floods, moving pollen here and there. And generally it's kind of like nature's factory, is it David? Absolutely. And, and what we're doing is, and have been doing over the course of the last year, century and definitely since the Industrial Revolution is, is, uh, is eroding this, this environment and, and bringing um, our, our cities and our, and our large populations closer to the wildlife um, and, and fragmenting their habitat. So to the extent that we are, we are, we are um, fragmenting the, the services, we are, we are degrading the services that they provide and creating other bigger issues, for example, COVID-19 came about uh, because of trafficking in wildlife. Um, and, and as we're getting, you know, that, that, that frontier, uh, that natural frontier is getting so close to our communities, you're having these, these zoonotic diseases um, hop over into human um, populations. And, and that's becoming a bigger and bigger issue. I mean, it started, with, well, it didn't start, but one of the big, big ones we know is HIV AIDS. Uh, that originated sort of in, in, in uh, monkey primate uh, populations in Central Africa and has, and so the more that we are, we encroach onto this, these, these habitats, the, the greater um, the impacts we're going to have, not just in terms of our, you know, the food that we eat, the food security and energy security, but, but environmental human health. Yeah, so, so really, uh, the, the idea was that we would have this system but that there would also be some kind of demarcation in terms of the extent to which we encroach or don't encroach. And that uh, we, we are, from what you're saying, pushing the limits. Now, I, I do have to say, of course, that uh, 
this encroachment manifests itself in different ways. You've got regional planning through cities, you've got roads infrastructure, you've got agriculture, as we know through, uh, and logging in the Amazon. But then you have mining and ex other extraction, which is the subject of the Shila Kama Extractive Podcast. And so I wanted to come back to that. So what impact do mining projects have uh, on biodiversity? How do we see that playing out? Biodiversity, well, sorry, mining um, projects and extractive industry um, more broadly has, well, uh, a myriad of, of, of ways that it impacts the, the biodiversity, uh, both in terms of spatial scale, be it at the site level where, where the extraction is occurring, at the landscape level, uh, and even sort of regional and global. But it also has an impact in terms of you know, whether it be directly in, in, the, in, in the extraction, but also indirect processes via all those actors and, 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 and players in the, the value chains of the extractive industry uh, and, and all the external non-mining actors that, that who gain access to these biodiverse rich areas as a result of, of the mining uh, that is occurring. Right. For, so, for example, in, in, in the Amazon or in the Congo, uh, a, a company will go in and do some exploration and, and will have to, uh, in some cases, develop a road, uh, put in a road to get to these areas. Oftentimes, perhaps in exploration, they can come in, you know, via, via the air if, if, the, if the economics are right. But once, once the, the extraction starts to happen in, in, in an industrial scale, uh, at least with large scale mining, you've got roads going in to bring in all the heavy machinery. And so all these roads provide a, a conduit for all, all types of other actors to come in, uh, be it sort of livestock, um, agriculture, uh, and start to further degrade and deforest the, the, uh, these areas. So in a way that the extraction, the extractive company may not actually impact uh, hugely in, in terms of deforestation, but, but the indirect deforestation that comes about from, from you know, cattle ranching or, or soy farming can be almost 40 times larger than the direct mining clearing. So it, it really is a, a sort of a, a Trojan horse, so to speak, um, that can have real big impacts. Um, but there are still obviously site level impacts that the extractive industries um, are, uh, create in terms of habitat loss, fragmentation, um, uh, waste discharge, pollution of, of you know, particularly when we talk about tailings, dams, and we've seen many of these you know, uh, that, that break and cause all sorts of, of destruction and, and loss of human life and livelihoods. But then also those, uh, those cumulative impacts that, that, um, that I've talked about in terms of uh, indirect are, are the ones that really we need to look at as well. Mm. So, of course, you know, on the one hand, I'm interested in extraction, but can we take a view on, say, for instance, the comparison between uh, the footprint, if you wish, of mining relative to other industries? Is it possible to say, you know, if we want to be impactful, it is these industries we want to particularly look at in terms of uh, distortion of the ecosystems? It's, it's tough to say. I mean, I, I think, you know, large-scale mining, of course, has the, the, the obvious the bigger impacts given its scale, right? Uh, when you're going in and, 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 and basically deforesting a huge area, particularly when looking at you know, open-cast mining, for example. Um, or, or, for example, the case of, 
of um, mining of for lithium in, in the deserts of, of Chile and Argentina and Bolivia. Um, you, you might think these areas are, are devo devoid of any you know, biodiversity because they're deserts, pretty much, you know, uh, high altitude deserts. Um, but they do have a huge impact on, on the very endangered species, you know, flamingos, for example, that, that fly around in these, space, these areas. And the huge amount of water that's used, groundwater that's used to, to, to actually produce lithium. But then if you consider that uh, the, the, the one, and sorry, and I should say that lithium is, is being mined for, for um, batteries for electric vehicles, primarily, but not solely. You know, for all our lithium batteries that we use in all our products. Uh, but one, there's a one EV lithium battery, the amount of water rather that's required to produce one of these batteries is actually equivalent to producing 200 grams of, of a beef patty or, or 11 avocados. It, it's, it's, so if you consider, you, you compare that to, to other industries, you know, food and uh, livestock, it, it's actually relatively, um, um more efficient and and if you consider that those that that beef patty or those avocados will be consumed uh and, and then and then ultimately become uh organic waste um the the ev battery lasts for 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 you know potentially a decade and can be uh reused or recycled and so in a way that that amount of water is is being used much more um uh efficiently so, so you, yeah, you do, you do have to consider uh, sort of the, the upstream um, aspects of, of the usage of these, of these minerals. Uh, and, what, and at the end of the day, you know, of course, when you compare mining to say uh, livestock um, rearing or, or soy farming in, in, in the Amazon, um, no, yeah, the, 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 it doesn't produce, it's not as impactful as, as those, those um, sectors. Um, but again, we do have to point out that the indirect impacts of mining are, in a way, do uh, open up the door for these more uh, destructive um, sectors to come in and, and, and uh, impact the environment. So uh, we can't we can't decouple it from these. It's at the end of the day, um, it, it works at all these different scales and, and spatial scales, and we have to look at the direct and indirect impacts. Mm, no, that makes sense. It's. Uh what you're really saying is that it's not as simple as that. And I guess that's why the world tries to have this notion of uh, scope one, scope two, and scope three, to help us understand the land of divide between who does what and when you are still in the mining space and migrate to the uh, industrial space and then to the ultimate consumer space. Now, I, I, you, you, you said something earlier, which I thought I, I could follow up on. Uh, and, and it is this, notion of uh, you know the carbon offsets so companies purchase carbon units to offset their carbon footprint I've always struggled with this so how <laughs> in your view how effective is this in mitigating uh, carbon emissions it, it, it seems to sit more in the balance space than in the environment am I right yeah, carbon carbon offsets uh, have become a bit of a, a lightning rod uh, for uh, you know very much debated in the last you know um, five ten years. Um, for example, uh, there there are many companies that are using um, carbon offsets as a means to to um, to reach their net zero targets. 
uh, and a big and be a central pillar of, of their of their pledges and zero target strategies. But but that should not be the, it should not be the case and wasn't the intent of carbon offsets to, to begin with. Right, carbon offsets are essentially just a means to say, well, a company over here can continue to to uh, to pollute and and to emit uh, carbon dioxide and certain greenhouse gases, um, but then they pay for the protection of a of an area in, let's say, the Amazon that will be the equivalent that will sequester and and suck in that similar amount of greenhouse gases over here, and so there should be still a balance. But if they are, but if everyone is using these. Uh, you know, willy-nilly without actually reducing their emissions, we're going to get beyond that, beyond that level of, at which there is no balance, right? So the idea of carbon offsets should be that, that, um, that companies should first and foremost uh, look at reducing their emissions in their, in their, in their production and in their, in their business models um, to, to as much as possible, right? Through new technologies, new processes, adapting their business models, uh, and with, with, you know, putting, putting in uh, you know, carbon dioxide scrubbers in the case of, of, of um, uh, fossil fuel companies. But, um, but that, that the carbon offsets should then only be used to offset what, what's termed residual emissions, those last emissions that, that you cannot remove, uh, you cannot stop because you know, the company still needs to, to, to function. Um, and that's and that's the what what everyone is and, uh, and all the uh, proponents of carbon offsets now are, are trying to make the point that it should not be they should not be the central pillar of a net zero strategy, um, because yeah there are a lot of, of of carbon offset programs appearing many in the last five years uh, too many to be honest to, to and some in, with varying degrees of of uh, accountability. Um, and so, and, and you have now auditors and, and uh, accreditation bodies, third-party bodies that then ensure that this particular carbon offset project is, is legit and is definitely doing what it says on the tin. But these carbon auditors are also essentially um, uh, some independent ones and can, and can pop up uh, here and there and be, and, and also there's some varying degrees of accountability there as well. There's some there's some obvious good ones that, such as Vera and Gold Standard. So the international community has come together to try and bring back the confidence in the carbon offset market, uh, the voluntary carbon market, because there is already a mandatory carbon market that's a little bit more regulated, um, and and to put certain guardrails and have a rule a rule book essentially for for this to make sure that when you do use carbon offsets, you're doing it as a final and last resort. That when you do it, you're also ensuring that it's Permanent that what you're what you are supporting in terms of the conservation of a, of a protective of a forest is is will be permanent for you know the next 20 30 years at least that it is that it is additional that you know the country or another uh, or another uh, company is not also counting those that particular area as part of their pledges and also that there's no leakage which essentially means that by protecting over here. The, the 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 sort of the, the actor isn't just moving their their deforestation to another area just to the other side that isn't being protected. So these three things have to be assured. And there are there is a movement. There's the you know there's the task force for scaling voluntary carbon markets. There's an integrity council for the voluntary carbon market. The commodity futures trading commission is has gotten involved and have put convened a voluntary carbon markets uh, group to look at how to 
to put in place this this regulation and ensure and bring that confidence for investors and, and others that we're not these aren't being used for greenwashing or risk washing. Yeah. So this is important because what you 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 said a mouthful, but really what you're saying <laughs> is is that one there is no substitute for fundamentally reducing carbon emissions. That, that has to be done because we can buy all the carbon offsets uh, that we want in the, uh, in, we have in the world, but ultimately we must uh, focus on reduction of emissions because merely saying um, sequestering here does not change the fact that we continue to emit. I think this is an important point, but, uh, of course, but you are also making the point that as with any initiative, uh, you know, there, there are different levels of credibility. You, sure, we have this, but you're going to find people, whether in the auditing space or other aspects of the carbon market ecosystem, who are, from a governance uh, perspective, stand to scrutiny and others don't, and that we can't ignore that, and that you have confidence in the system for what it is intended to do, uh, quite apart from you know, making sure there's no greenwashing, all the parties must be seen to, uh, uh, you know, comply with at least the basic principles. And I think that uh, that is very helpful to me and I hope to the Shila Kame Extractive Podcast followers. Absolutely, so, and, and I'll give you an example that actually is a very quick one. Uh, at where I work, our NGO PACT, um, we, we have done a, a carbon uh, uh, um, assessment of our emissions um, at baseline. And now what we're looking at, and we've, we've set ourselves a, a, a net zero target of 2030. Uh, and so what we're doing now is, is we've seen where, our, where the you know, scope three emissions are the, the greatest in terms of business travel, because we're an international NGO traveling to all these different countries to support our programming. So that's where we're looking to reduce our emissions first and foremost, but then make sure that all our country offices have in place contextualized uh, reduction measures to, to make sure that we that we uh, you know, walk the talk, you know, here I am talking about you know reducing emissions and carbon offsets, but we so we're not looking at carbon offsets yet, but we have you know, money set aside to to actually to buy them should when the time comes and we and we know what our final residual emissions are. So um, that that's I think that yeah, as you say, the, the principal point that, that people should to to um, to take home. That's that's a, that's a very helpful, uh, but. You know, let's come back then again to biodiversity. I mean, how, if at all, or why is biodiversity desirable specifically for easing climate change? Yeah, biodiversity, as, as I mentioned before, you know, it is it is essentially the, the building blocks of, of uh, our ecosystems, forest ecosystems. Um, and so without that, for example, a forest, a forest uh, you know, made up of all these different you know, plant uh, biodiversity, particularly the plant biodiversity, the, the hardwood forest, for example, or mangroves, sequester carbon. They, 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 they literally uh, will suck the, the, the carbon dioxide from the air uh, and, and will use that in, in, their, in their photosynthesis. And so, but there's also below ground biomass, not just the, the tree trunks and the plants and the leaves, but the below ground uh, you know, the root systems of these of these forests that are important. The same goes for this, the organic uh, soil content. Soils are, are a, a carbon sink uh, as well. And, and there's, you know, and that's the microorganisms, the biodiversity there in terms of microorganisms that is important to, to, to conserve. Peatlands, you might've heard in, in, in Indonesia, for example, there's a big drive to, to protect peatlands 
because they uh, harbor huge amounts of, 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 um, of organic matter that is that is a, a huge carbon sink. And when they go and either cut them out and, and burn them uh, and, and dredge them to, to, to do you know, monoculture or even you know, developing infrastructure, it, it releases a huge amount of, of um, greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. But then we, we have to consider the marine biodiversity is also very important. Uh, oceans, uh, since since you know mid 1990s, have actually sequestered uh, 20 like a quarter of, of carbon dioxide emissions, and so and that's through all the biodiversity ecological processes occurring. A lot of the sedimentation that's that, that is that is locking a lot of the carbon dioxide in, in these oceans, and so um, we have to also consider the, the, the marine space. But what, what the problem and the, the, I think the take home message here is that. Biodiversity was always considered a, a side benefit to the broader carbon sequestration goals, right? Uh, people were saying, well, let's just plant uh, trees and, and fast growing trees that will, that will be able to sequester the, the carbon and, 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 and will be, we'll be fine. But these are essentially empty forests. There's no biodiversity there. And all the ecosystem um, the services that I talked about uh, would, would, would not be uh, available. It would just be carbon sequestration, just big you know, suckers of, of CO2. So now in the last you know, five years, five, 10 years, biodiversity and ecosystems are, are now being internalized into the conversation around, and that's what we're talking about, nature-based solutions you're hearing a lot about, um, and, and making sure that, because biodiversity ecosystems are, are known to be more resilient to climate change themselves. And so, so it's, a, uh, it, it's, it's necessary for, their their existence in the future. Mm. So yeah, you you've just said something that I, I, I think I, I need to play back at myself to, to be sure I understand you because what you're saying is sure we need forests to absorb the CO two, but actually, what we need is uh, diverse forest systems. The same way we have. Uh, ecosystems in the oceans that are diverse and therefore have not just the capacity to absorb, but actually they deliver all of what you call the ecosystem services that you spoke about. But if you just had trees, you still would not have the equivalent, uh, would you, of say the, the Congo forests, which are more than just trees. They are all the other things that live in the trees and come onto and leave the trees and keep coming back. And so there's something that if you just planted trees, that's it, you'd be done. You are saying, David, no, uh, that's, that's important, but that won't solve the problem, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is, and this is what I hear people talk about, oh, yes, we're going to reforest here. We're going to, I was just in a, in, a, in a webinar yesterday with AstraZeneca saying that they're, they're very involved in, uh, in, in tree planting schemes uh, all over the world. And, uh, and I kind of recoiled a little bit when I heard that because Tree planting, first of all, it's not, it's by no means the silver bullet. If you plant 1 million trees, there's no, um, there's no guarantee that those million trees will be standing alive and sequestering carbon 20 years from now. There'll be huge mortality rates uh, because of you know, uh, pests or, or even if, if the protection of that area isn't, isn't, isn't guaranteed, they may be deforested within five years. Um, so we need to consider the, the governance of the systems to ensure protection of these of these uh, reconstituted forests, this reforestation. But then, and as I said, that these are just empty forests that don't have those those ecosystem services. So, so tree planting is absolutely necessary, but 
but it has to be done in a methodical and, and very uh, targeted way, considering the, the right species. You know, we're not much like Ethiopia did back in, in the day to try and reduce huge amounts of, of, of erosion, uh, which, was, which was devastating their croplands and, and, and causing a lot of these issues in terms of food security. They went and planted huge amounts of, of gum trees, of eucalyptus, fast growing, um, to be able to bind the soil and reduce uh, you know, that, that, um, that erosion. And, it's, and it worked to a certain extent, but, but it's, it's an invasive species. It actually requires a whole lot of water. So in a way, it, it actually created a, a worse uh, issues for, in terms of, um, of drought. Um, so it was a very short-term myopic uh, vision. So there needs to be, and there are these big initiatives to look at diagnostic tools to help for reforestation schemes to make sure you're doing using the right species in the right place at the right time. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example where, in our case, with some work we're doing in Malawi, um, we were working on watershed uh, protection to, to benefit uh, the fisheries. It, we, we supported the communities with, with bamboo reforestation, and it worked well in some areas, but not so well in others, um, primarily because uh, the, the timing of, of was such that a big storm came by and washed away all the seedlings and saplings that had been reforested. And basically, there was a 95% mortality rate for that particular site. So um, lesson learned, right? And what we need to do and what we haven't talked about yet is ensure that we are including at, from the beginning the design of any program project before station or mining even, uh, working with indigenous peoples and local communities. They are the best guardians of, of, these, of these areas, have been for centuries, um, and will continue to if they are empowered and given access to their your ancestral uh, uh, rights and, and, and access to their resources. Uh, we haven't really touched upon that, but it's a whole other uh, um, Pandora's box. You are absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, when we are done with the uh, physical environment in the Sheila Kama Extracted Podcast, we get to the social environment for exactly uh, to look into that Pandora's box. So here's my uh, last brief uh, question to you. I, I say brief uh, tongue in cheek because there's nothing brief about uh, the issues we are discussing. So, I mean, the elephant in the room is this. We know that there is inherent conflict between uh, you know, ecosystems, forest ecosystems, uh, and uh, marine ecosystems when we are dealing with offshore uh, petroleum projects. And, you know, what we need, which is the metallic substances and the petroleum byproducts that have become intertwined with our lives. So, I mean, if you can, in a nutshell, how do we reconcile this conflict in a way that somehow we strike the right balance in terms of uh, being a sustainable system of life. Well, yes, okay, in a nutshell, um, we first, I guess, first and foremost, need to internalize these environmental costs of, of, of what we hope to be cleaner technologies going forward. Um, it's always been perceived that environmental impacts are an externality that, that, can, be, that can be accepted. We need to ensure that that's not the case. That we are really internalizing into into companies, um, business models, and and, and value chains. Uh, technological advances are, are are going to be important to uh, as we move forward. For example, lithium is a case. It, you know, lithium batteries in time will be obsolete, you know, and, and and hydrogen cells will take over. 
So we need to provide those incentives to, to achieve that transition sooner. Uh, meanwhile, we have to ensure that regulations that are in place in many parts of the world where we are seeing a lot of this degradation of, of habitats and, and ecosystems due to you know, mining extractive industries, there, there are actual um, regulations in place to, to mitigate those impacts, but are not being enforced. So we need to support the, these, these um, countries, these uh, provinces, sub-jurisdictional areas to, to regulate um, their, their, uh, their sectors and, and, and do so in a, in a, in a, in a more holistic way, transbound, transnational way, so that, for example, in Chile, which does have quite strong regulations in their lithium with regards to, to mineral extractives, uh, but Bolivia and Argentina don't. And so there's the, the, the worry that the, they will have that leakage where uh, more um, companies will move to these other countries to continue to extract um, with, with, without a consideration to the environment. Um, circular economy principles, we have to, to really embrace these, reusing and recycling minerals, looking at neglected mined waste, of which there, you, know, you, can, you can be able to, to source 20% of, of, your, of your needs without having to go into new areas. Um, and also re revisit the not in my, my backyard, the NIMBY issue, and looking at Europe, in Europe, for example, in the US, to, to look at sourcing uh, materials there uh, rather than going into developing countries and, and impacting their environment through, through these processes. Um, and, I'll, and I'll just say one other thing. I mean, ultimately, uh, we, there, there is a move towards uh, you know, uh, more environmentally and socially sustainable uh, mining. Uh, and so we, we have to ensure that there is de-risking of these investments into these new uh, technologies and 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 it's on the rise. I mentioned prior to this call, uh, the you know the World Bank looking at um, at forest smart mining and um, climate smart mining. That it's there. It's just time. Time will tell whether whether we can, uh, much like solar and wind, has now is now cheaper. Solar at least thirty percent cheaper than 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 fossil fuel um, energy. We will get there with with these other um, technologies. Fantastic, uh, uh, David. I, um, I did say that I was uh, asking for trouble, trying to get a, a brief answer to a complex uh, <laughs> uh, question. But nevertheless, uh, thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. My sense is we'll be speaking with each other again. Thank you very much. Thank you. All the best.